Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session with TBA rabbinic intern Ben Siegel. As a background to what I'm going to be teaching about today, which is not so text heavy, uh, last week I was in Israel, so pardon any of the uh, jet lag. I was there for less than a week. So it's just enough time to completely screw up my internal clock before I came back here and tried to get back onto a completely different one. Uh, But I don't want to completely avoid Torah study as um, this week's Perkei Avot. There's a tradition of studying a chapter of Perkei Avot each week between Pesach and Shavuot because there are six of them and there are six Shabbatot in between. And uh, in this week's chapter, uh, it says that if at least two people are together and they share words of Torah, then the Shekhinah dwells amongst them. So in the interest of that, I'll start out with a verse of Pirkei Avot that I was learning last week in Jerusalem that um, seems to highlight the theme of what the World Zionist Congress is. So uh, because all this is being recorded and the microphones are up here, I'll um, read it, but I'll reach out just for questions in a second. So uh, we're in chapter two, um, Mishnah three. It says, uh, be careful in your dealings with the ruling authorities for they do not befriend a person except for their own needs. They seem like friends when it is to their own interests, but they do not stand by a person in uh, the hour of their distress. Um, So any initial reactions to this teaching? (laughs) What? Nothing has changed. I think that that's a pretty good summary of it. This, yes, this is pre-democracy. It's a great point. Pre-democracy, all the more so, if you don't get involved, then the ruling authorities have absolute power. And so at least post-democracy, or not post-democracy, but currently in a system of democracy, uh, involvement is important, but ultimately someone's going to get involved, um, we hope. So uh, there's this commentary that I found that says, uh, the Tosfot Yom Tov on this Mishnah that says, even though you must become known to the government in order to attend to the needs of the people, be careful with them. Uh, For Shemaiah was not referring to such cases when he said, do not become known to the government, as in this case, it is a great mitzvah to become known to them, to attend to the needs of the people, as the stories of Mordechai and Rabbi Yehud Hanasi prove. So we have instances in our tradition where it's actually really important to become involved. At the same point, you don't necessarily uh, want to believe that everyone is in the government is going to behave in the way that you want them to just because you want them to. Um, so with all that in mind, um, I want to give a little bit of background on what the World Zionist Congress is and teach about it. It'll be a little more frontal than normal, but I think it's important after having been there for the community to have a better understanding of what it is, what it does, and why it's important in 2025 when the next elections are to get involved. Because before my involvement with Merkaz, which is the conservative Masorti movement's uh, party that is represented in the Congress, I knew nothing about it. And uh, I would imagine that most people in this room feel the same way. So a little bit of background. In 1897, 
Um, and some of this is on that second page. But in 1897, the World Zionist Congress was first established in Basel uh, by Theodor Herzl. Since then, we've come um, 120, 26 years later. And um, there have been 30 something Congresses that have met since. Normally, it meets every five years. The Congress that I was a part of was elected in 2020, but because of COVID, wasn't able to meet in person. And so we were now finally meeting in person. Uh, the Congress oversees three different institutions. Karen Kayemet Israel, or the Jewish National Fund, is probably the largest budgetary organization. Uh, it alone has a budget of, last I checked, around 2 billion shkalim, which is, let's call it $750 million. So not a tiny organization. Uh, Karen Hayes, um, that organization was initially funded pre-State of Israel to help purchase land. Um, today we know it for planting trees, but it was really about trying to find land for Jews who were making Aliyah to live on. The second organization, um, Karen Hayesod, um, was founded a little bit later. And that was founded to fundraise. So making sure that they actually had the money to make these purchases. Today, it's probably the smallest of the organizations. But um, in the US, it works through the Jewish Federation. So Los Angeles Jewish Federation is your local representative of Karen Hayasod. And the last organization is the Jewish Agency for Israel, um, known by Jaffe is its um, acronym. And it was founded last. And the point of um, Jaffe um, pre-state of Israel was to encourage people to make Aliyah. So you had the organization that was finding the land, financing it, and then encouraging that to actually happen. And all of this, um, all of these organizations exist today, and they exist today for a lot of different reasons. Um, they still largely are doing the initial work that they did before, but they are also heavily involved in education and in um, just promoting a strong ties between Israel and the diaspora. So um, that's what the Congress is overseeing and passing resolutions about. And you'll see I included here at the bottom uh, a resolution. Uh, I'll read it out. And that this will give you a sense of the sort of things that the Congress actually deals with. So this was one that was proposed by Rabbi Mauricio Balter, who's the head of Masorti Olami and Merkaz Olami, which are the um, international organizations representing conservative Masorti Judaism outside of the land of Israel and the United States. So Uruguay, Europe, um, everywhere in between. Um, uh, in light of the vital need for unity in the 75th year of Israel's independence and in light of the fear of legislation that would overturn the ruling of the Supreme Court, the Zionist Congress opposes the revocation of recognition of conservative and reform conversions. Very long title, but I think it tells you everything you need to know about what comes next. Um, I'm going to skip down to the end. Uh, the, there's a lot of whereas is um, covering what the current situation is. But ultimately, it calls on the, the Zionist Congress to resolve as follow. It calls on the Israeli government not to enact a conversion law that will exclude or discriminate directly or indirectly against Jews who were converted under the auspices of reform and conservative streams of Judaism. And number two, um, the Zionist Congress appreciates and respects all the women and men who enter the gates of Israel, 
who underwent orthodox conservative or reform conversion and wish them that they will be able to find their rightful place within the people of Israel and the state of Israel. So this was one of two resolutions that was um, discussed and voted on in my committee, which was the diversity committee. There were, I think, six of them. And all of these different committees were dealing with different business such as this, trying to get the Congress to um, largely to represent Judaism on a global level and not just the Israeli level. So every country has its own uh, elections. Uh, like I said, we had elections in 2020, as did many other places, although because of COVID, not everyone did. And we're all coming to the Congress to represent it. On the first day, we had resolutions like this in committee that we're voting on, trying to get the right wording on. And it was not the easiest battle to get even this out of committee. Um, there's a lot of different factions there. And like I said, you can't necessarily, people are only doing things on their own behalf to a certain extent. So what helped this year was that our group along um, with a lot of other liberal Jewish groups, such as Artsenu, which represents the reform movement, um, a couple of the left-wing Israeli parties um, also partnered with us, were able to form a coalition to get these things out of committee. And I'm happy to say that every single resolution that the conservative movement was able to put its stamp on found its way out of committee. But I'm standing here today to also tell you that we still have not voted on these as a larger Congress. That takes me to day two of the Congress. We're supposed to be voting on all of these things. And um, we're waiting um, anxiously. Does anyone remember? Well, I'm a much younger generation. So in college, um, we had these clickers, like remote controls that you would use to take attendance or take quizzes and things like that. And that's how the election was supposed to be, or the vote on all these resolutions was supposed to be held. And what ends up happening is a motion is passed that we're going to have to do a voice vote, um, a la, um, they sometimes do it in the Senate, where they say the name of the person, and then you have to respond, as opposed to voting electronically. With, I think we had 11 resolutions, that's going to, and we're starting at five o'clock, that's going to take us through the night. It's a blatant attempt to try and make sure that these things don't make it through. Like I said, everyone's representing their own interests and nothing more than that. And so what ends up happening is um, the leadership all go um, into a room, discuss it. Ultimately, we are in the next couple of days going to be voting on all of these things uh, via an electronic ballot. It's a way of saying that it's still a named ballot because each vote can be tied to an individual person, but it's also a way of actually getting the business done and getting things passed. So I stand here today to tell you that we haven't passed any of this stuff yet, but we will. Um, all of that is a lot of information, but I want to bring it back to why it's important um, and then open it up for questions and answers. It, like I said, very different learning experience, but I think it's important because you need to understand that when we're talking about budgets of between the two, three organizations, roughly $1 billion, there's a lot of good that can be done with $1 billion in Israel. And there's also a lot of things that, um, that aren't so good. There's a reason that this resolution that I put here before you needs to be passed. It's because there are attempts to make it so that the conversions that we would all stand behind aren't going to be accepted in Israel. And that can 
be enforced pretty heavily when you've got a billion dollars to back up decisions like that in either direction. And so I'm st standing here as one of your representatives, um, whether or not you voted, um, to let you know that next year, we're, or next election cycle, we're expecting that elections will be even tighter. Right now, um, the conservative movement and its partners are the majority both in the Congress and among the American delegations. We're not sure that that will be the case based on turnout. Um, this past election cycle, um, turnout from, in particular, uh, ultra-Orthodox parties that were very hostile to this sort of resolution was much higher than it's ever been before, which was one of the reasons we face a lot of the difficulties that we did, because they had a lot more representation than they've ever had before. On the other hand, we know based on demographics that our movement and our partner movements here in the States could easily be a supermajority among American delegates if turnout for amongst our voters was high enough. So I won't be here in 2025, God willing, I will have a job and my guess is it won't be at Beth Am because I know you all are very happy with your rabbis, but, um, and as am I, uh, but I'm saying, I wanna bring this up now coming out of a Congress that was deeply frustrating as a delegate because I want this to be in the back of your mind a couple of years from now. I'm certainly going to be reaching out to the clergy team here in a couple of years when elections are coming around. But I also want you to understand the importance of this because oftentimes as Jews in America, it can feel like we have very little ability to influence the goings on uh, in Israel, and we can look at what other, whatever side of the division that's going on in Israel we stand on and feel like we have no way to support that. Through the World Zionist Congress and the organizations that it oversees and its billion plus dollars in money that it oversees, there is a way to have some influence in Israel. And we're seeing that both based on what happened in the Congress and what's going to happen in the next couple of years. So I'm gonna open the floor up for questions. I know that that was a lot of information. It was a lot more frontal than we normally are. Um, and we've got a few minutes to go through questions and I'm happy to answer them. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, resolution regarding the acceptance of uh, non-Orthodox conversion, yeah. what's the status in Israel today? So the status today based on the courts is that they're supposed to be acknowledged. Um, that being said, that's not always the case in government institutions, um, in the interior ministry in particular, which processes Aliyah. Um, I know in particular of someone who is currently having a big, he made Aliyah, or he uh, converted here in the States through a conservative congregation. He's been trying to make Aliyah for, we're going on just under two years. Because in large part, he went through um, he went through a conservative congregation. They're not going to say that that's the reason why it is. They're going to try and pick apart all these different things that, oh, you, your community that you were a part of was online for most of this time, so that doesn't count. But I also know that that's not something that they're doing of people who have undergone orthodox conversions or especially conversions through the Rabbinote in Israel. That's not an issue. So that's as it stands right now. There's also concern 
that with some of the judicial changes that have been discussed, alongside them are changes to overrule, in particular, this ruling of the Supreme Court that says that these um, conversions need to be accepted. So it binds the three organizations that it oversees, that the world, the four organizations, I should say, the World Zionist Congress, Karen Kayemet Israel, Karen Hayasod, and um, the Jewish Agency, it binds them to that policy, but it also sends a message that diaspora Jewry, as well as to a certain extent Israeli Jewry, because the Israelis do have representation as well, sends a message that that group is telling Israel, this is what we're expecting of you. The Israeli government can choose to not listen to it, but they're choosing to not listen to an organization that represents all of diaspora Jewry which is not necessarily something that they're gonna to wanna to do because these organizations send a lot of money to government projects and the people that are represented in the Congress are involved in other organizations as well, as well that send a lot of money to Israel. And that is one way that I know that a lot of organizations have been trying to um, stop changes like this from happening in Israel is saying, look, we're going to have a hard time fundraising for you if you tell our membership that they're not accepted in Israel. Yeah. It's somewhere in between, I would say. So it's not... One of the things that becomes a little bit tricky is that based on elections, everybody gets representation in these organizations. So depending on where you are on the political map or the religious map, uh, your willingness to enforce some of these policies is going to be in a different place. And they're going to try and either find ways to enforce this if it doesn't pass, if you're coming from our side, or to not enforce this if it does pass, if you're coming from the other side. Ultimately, the four organizations I've mentioned a few times are bound to these resolutions. And so to a certain extent, yes, they wouldn't be able to use funding to only promote Orthodox conversion um, or to promote education through for Orthodox conversion only. That would be one example. Um, on the other hand, uh, it's not so binding as to say this is what it is and if the Israeli government says they're going to do something different, we're going to withhold everything. It's not quite as easy as doing that. Um, a lot of these uh, resolutions have to be done in deals with different groups. And so not everyone has the political willpower to put all this behind everything, if that makes sense. Uh, but ultimately, it does set up all these organizations to have to, um, to head in that direction, I would say. Um, yeah, ultimately, as, as far as I've been taught, it's a matter of who's doing it. Because um, I've been, at least in rabbinical school, the sources that we're learning how to perform conversions are the same sources that they're learning in Orthodox, um, in Orthodox Yeshivot, that, where they're also learning it. The big difference, the one big difference I would say is that we have women involved in our conversion process. And that would be one of the things that, um, from an Orthodox perspective, may not be accepted. Women involved in our conversions. We have women that are will we're willing to have women sit on our Beit Din and to be involved in the education process, et cetera. And that is something that 
pretty much across the board in the Orthodox world isn't going to be accepted. Yeah. Great question. It's because for all intents and purposes of the Congress, the reform movement and the reconstructionist movement are one and the same. For, yes, exactly. For the purpose of the Congress, they, uh, the reconstructionist movement is also represented by Artsenu. Yeah. Every rabbi is going to be a little bit different, but yes, it's generally going to be about the same process of, I believe a minimum would be about nine months to a year. Um, every rabbi is going to have a different um, comfort level. It also is going to depend on the conversion student and their ability to learn what's necessary as a part of that conversion. But ultimately speaking, the, the conversion process looks pretty much the same. Um, table. Uh, table. Anyway, um, it's okay. It's the Yiddish. I know you're too young. Um, when you were talking about the person you know who's struggling with conversion, by chance, are there uh, officially, I thought there were support from Rabbi Seth Farber, who's a modern Orthodox rabbi, who's an organization called ITIM, ITIM, and it is, is, ITIM involved? Um, so that's where this gets a little bit more complicated. In one version of the resolution that um, I presented, we talked about including certain Orthodox conversions, um, including the ones that he's involved in, because some of those are also not accepted in Israel. Um, essentially, you need to be represented by the Rabbanut. Uh, you need to be accepted by the Israeli Rabbanut to have your conversion accepted. Um, by them for all intents and purposes. And that's the direction that Israel is potentially going in. Uh, they have a blacklist of a lot of different rabbis that are Orthodox rabbis that they won't accept conversion from. Yeah. I, and I thought he actually also helped conservative, whatever. Anyway, a given time, I'll let that go. But I just wanted to say that I thought this Zionist Congress was so important that I persuaded my adult child to vote too. So all three members of our household voted so you did rep you do represent us. Wonderful, glad to hear it. Um, one last question, we've got time for like one last question and then we're gonna bench and move into Mari. So first of all, I'll wrap up by saying, um, like I said, the business of the Congress isn't done. We have a lot of other resolutions that I didn't put before you that I think most of the people in this room would also um, get, um, give their support to, and at the same time, we're having, depending on the representation of the Congress, would be a real struggle to get through. Uh, so come a couple years from now, I will be reaching out to clergy, to whoever the rabbinic interns are here at the time, and I hope that you'll keep this information in the back of your mind, because all of us know hopefully we'll now vote what, regardless of whether or not we did last time. And hopefully we can reach out to one or two other people that we know, uh, family members, friends, et cetera, who can also vote. And that alone gets us a lot of the way there. Um, it doesn't take, to give you an understanding of what vote totals were, I think uh, Merkaz got somewhere around 25,000 votes last time around, if that, um, which is nowhere near the number of Jews who self-report as conservative Jews, that would be somewhere around like 
couple million. So it really, it really doesn't take that many people to vote to make a huge impact in the Congress. And my hope is that next time around, we're able to do that and we're able to continue to have um, an ability to make Israel be the Israel that we want it to be, regardless of what that is for everyone in the room. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.